All right, let's see if we can remember how to do this for two hours. Kevin Barker, you ready? I was born ready. Yeah, like six cups of coffee. We're all set to go. It is Blair and Barker. We are back in our 10 a.m. to noon Eastern slot on Sportsnet 590. The fan, we will be here through the hockey season. And then we will switch to 5 to 7 or 4 to 6 or something in that neighborhood. Be the Blue Jays pregame show. And uh, as well, we will be on Blue Jays Talk. We being both of us on Blue Jays Talk. So yesterday, as we did our very brief Blue Jays Talk following the uh, 7-5 win over the Yankees, uh, literally got off the air and got a little notification on my phone. The Jays had made a trade. So let's talk about that right away. We haven't had a chance to address it. I would classify it as a minor trade. Uh, Reese McGuire has been sent to the Chicago White Sox for Zach Collins. Interesting aspect of this deal. Both are left-handed hitters. Uh, Both of them were first-round picks in 2013. McGuire was 14th overall. Collins, I believe, was 27th, the Cincinnati Reds. Ben Nicholson-Smith did a did a good job on sportsnet.ca talking about what the JC and in, in Zach Collins compared to Reese McGuire. They see better barrel rate, uh, et cetera, et cetera. They like the bat better than Reese's bat, or at least he profiles a little differently. But the biggest thing, I think, Kevin, he has minor league options remaining. In point of fact, he was at minor league camp with the Chicago White Sox when this deal was made. So that would suggest to me... Kevin, I guess there's a way the Jays take three catchers north. But as we broke down our roster today, understanding that there's at least a question mark over Nate Pearson right now because of his his non-COVID illness, understanding that Kevin Gossman is making his major or spring training debut for the Blue Jays today in a Grapefruit League game at least, and and, uh, Alejandro Kirk is behind the plate catching him, it seems to me as if we're now in a position where the Jays will likely just take, <clears throat> pardon me, just take two catchers north and use that extra that extra slot for a bullpen arm, maybe maybe Taylor Saucedo. We did a breakdown. We got five starters, 11 relievers, and 12 position players. We've got Bird making the team uh, as an extra position player. Yeah, I don't see the, the, the benefit for the Blue Jays to take three catchers. Why, why would you do that? Like, and even if Collins came here and, and say this was done a week and a half ago, would have that much time to go and, and catch bullpens and know which way the ball's breaking and, and you know, gets, gets a feel for the pitchers, which is a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. All of these pitchers have to have confidence in that guy to put the fingers down when it matters the most. And- Especially opening day is Friday. You've got two more Grapefruit League games left, so it's not like you can – that's not going to be a crash course. Yeah, yeah, and Collins, you know, if you look at his numbers, not a very good hitter. Let, let's be honest. I know he's a first-rounder, but he's still trying to find his way as an offensive player. Defensively, we haven't seen enough of him to know if he's any good or not, especially to come into an organization and and come to a big league team who's expected to go where the Blue Jays are expected to go. So this is a great move for me. You know, if you you got right down to it and you were honest with yourself, you're Ross Atkins, which is exactly what he did. Kirk or McGuire, what makes your team better on a contending team early in the season, that's a no-brainer for me. I think, look, I, I get it. The putting the fingers down, the confidence between the, you know, the the catcher and the pitcher, and all those kind of things. But offensively, bottom of the order, mm-hmm. we're talking about getting on base. We're talking about turning the lineup over for the big boys at the top of the order. Would you rather have Kirk or McGuire? Well, and and let's let's take a look at the the catching situation in this organization right now. Gabriel Moreno is going to start at AAA. Uh, that was something Ross Atkins said yesterday. So. I understand that there are people out there who still have this 
I don't want to say this to, to slag anybody. There, there is, there are all those Jose Ramirez rumors out there, and we know that the Cleveland Guardians had somebody following uh, Alejandro Kirk all spring. But it, to me, this doesn't necessarily change anything because if something happens and you need, you're going to make a big deal, and Kirk is involved, well, then you bring Zach Collins up from 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 AAA, and 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 you know you let him be your backup catcher to Danny Jansen. But I think you look at this position if you're the Jays and you say, Gabriel Moreno's probably going to be our catcher next year. Like, let's let's just say it. He's probably going to be our catcher next year. So, yeah, whether or not that guy is lefty or righty, I, I don't think matters if we're talking about Gabriel Moreno. Uh, I really don't. Yeah, look, again, we could come on here and yell and scream about Moreno and, and what's he got and what's he look like in the fall league. We've watched video. You know, until we actually see him in big-time games, what matters the most with the Blue Jays, that's well, the I, thing. I, but I'm saying, Kevin, he's in AAA this year. He's going to get a full year at AAA. We'll get an idea. He'll get his opportunity to be one of the catchers. That's, that's I think, what your point is. And, yeah, the, the, the future looks bright for the Blue Jays behind the plate with Danny Jansen leading the way. And, Everybody has tremendous confidence in, in Danny Jansen doing all the things that a big league catcher is supposed to do offensively. We'll see with Danny. But I'm with you. I, uh, this is just one of those moves where, again, I, you look at teams that are contending. You get rid of pieces that you don't think can help your team right now. And for me, Reese McGuire is one of those guys. Look, is he? he's just a name. Like, yeah. I, I hate to say it that way. I was one of those guys. But I was never on a team that going into the season in the American League East was supposed to win the World Series. Let's be honest. This is what the Blue Jays are trying That's to what do. A lot of people and have them down as winning absolutely. the World There's Series. One of these guys in this room. That I didn't that. say so, win the World Series. Now, look, don't give away my picks. Anyway, it's just I think this is we've seen this. You know, we've seen the Blue Jays eat deals. We've seen them eat money. This is just one of those moves. Now, Collins, is he a, uh, is he a game changer? Absolutely not. But he's left-handed. Maybe he, you know, they think the upside's a little bit more and. Yeah, you know, they, they know what Reese is. Yeah, to, to me, they got a guy with options. This gives them a little more flexibility. They, they exchanged a left-hand hitting catcher with no flexibility for a left-hand hitting catcher with some flexibility. And uh, that, given given the way we anticipate pitchers being used early in the year and given the amount of movement we anticipate seeing from AAA up here with pitchers this year, it helps to have guys with options. It, 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 it just does. And if you've got players who, uh, of equivalent skill sets or who profiled sort of similarly, yeah, I'm going to take the guy with options. I'm going to take the guy with options every day. The, the, the interesting thing to me, though, as I said right now, is that, does, that appears to mean that, that Alejandro Kirk will make the team not just as a DH. I think a lot of people looked at if Reese McGuire came along, chances are that Alejandro Kirk and, and Greg Bird would be maybe doing some sort of platooning at DH. But Kirk's going to obviously catch a lot now. Yeah, I don't know about you, but what I've seen from Kirk, it's not awful behind the plate. He's a work in progress. I, I will say this. Well, this is no secret. You pointed this out. First of all, he's catching Kevin Gossman today, and Gossman's only started the spring. That ain't accidental. But we also know that he has been in the minor league complex working with these guys. Yeah. So, yeah, it's I, I don't know how to judge Alejandro Kirk defensively just because I don't think we've seen it enough. You know, you look at the guy and you go, man, like how much of an athlete is he going to be behind the plate? But how we see him, how I see him, 
It's got nothing to do with how the organization sees him. It's got nothing to do with what the the pitchers are saying about him. I, and I, he clearly, I was just going to interrupt him. He clearly works well with Pete Walker too, which is another thing yeah, in his yeah, favor. Yeah, until you look at Gosby's two-pitch guy. You look at Robbie Ray who left, who, mm-hmm. who caught Robbie Ray last year. You, these, these things are no-brainer. And remember when we had John Snyder on. They're, they're matching catcher strengths up with pitcher yes. strengths. Yes. Whether that's uh, balls inside. I think Kevin Gosby, that's a little bit of a way he wants to tack lefties is in and then make the tunneling of the fastball and the splitty look the same until it dives off the plate because he has two different split fingers. But – I just like when you look at the roster, you're trying to break it down. There's no name that you think of that you go, why is he going north? That's a great that, – that, Why that, is he going that's north? That's a great point. The, look, that, the, for that's the first really time that I've been point. doing this show with you, could we say that? No. Sometimes you'd be going, oh, you're are right. you kidding me? Why is this guy going north? Can you really say that about any of these names that's on the list? There isn't – even when you go into the bullpen. Now, we've talked about we think the bullpen – could use some more swing and miss stuff. But as I look at the players that are the pitchers that are probably going north, that makes sense to me. Like there isn't a guy on there. I go, what the hell is he doing on there? Yep. I could see Mary why they're going, obviously with, with Pearson Hurt. Phelps to me is a no-brainer. Vasquez is kind of funky. They obviously like him. He's in a major league contract. Mm-hmm. Stripling, of course, is is there. Barucky, you know what? I don't want to lose Ryan Barucky in options. I've spent so much time trying to see trying to see what the or on waivers i'm sorry i've seen so i've spent so much time trying to see what this guy is i still want to see what he is i've invested a lot of time and energy in him and you know i think taylor taylor saucedo i don't know if 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 what i'm seeing is reality but i look at him as a guy who can be really effective yeah, and you, you really re- effective. remember too you mentioned the ryan brucky that there's okay it's okay to have a little friend of competition in the, in the bullpen, mm-hmm. and you had Taylor Saucedo and Ryan Barucki, and those are sort of, you know, Barucki for me is one of those guys sometimes can't get out of his own way. Yeah, you know, the little bit of injury thing and the tweaking of this and the tweak. I was tweaked all the time when I played. Yeah. It's, you, you know, there has to be one of those times in your career where you say enough's enough. You know, there's there's guys around me that are just as good as I am or better, and I better step it up here. And well, the other thing about Taylor Saucedo, we know that from talking to the, the coaching staff, uh, I mean, he is – yeah, this is a cliche. He is a guy that will take the ball. Yeah, he's fearless and he can get righties out. That, yeah. That's the thing is with the three batter rule, you got to be able to, you know, when the manager gives you the ball, unless there's two outs and he's coming in a closing inning, which is probably not the case for him. You know, he's not really for me a specialist. He's more of a, you know, you got to give him a clean inning. I know right. it's going to bring him in occasionally when you don't have a choice because other guys are not available, but. I, he he brings a little something, the, you know. He throws hard enough. He does it with a fun, uh, with a funky arm angle. The only thing, the only guy that I I've written down here and I've circled because <clears throat> Tabby has talked about him a lot. Dan Schulman's talked about him as well, and Danny will join us in a few minutes. Is Trent Thornton? Now, I think this team is in a situation where they're going to take the best pitchers they have north with them i would be lying if i said i spent a great deal of time focusing on trent thornton even from a distance heck if i was in there in person i'd be lying if i said i'd be spending a lot of time watching trent thornton but he's still around he is a multiple inning guy could he kevin be one of the guys that breaks in there do you take him over Sosedo? see i don't but I, I again, I don't know what they what they they see in Trent Thornton. Well, you get you're getting the first month of the season. You get the Yankees. You get the Astros. You get the Red Sox. I mean, if you if you think that that matches up a right handed thrower matches up better than a left handed thrower with some weird arm angle, then I guess maybe. But again, we just got back to 
Can you argue any name on the 28-man no. roster? If you and put that, Trent if Thornton, Trent Thornton there, was on there, you I can argue it. That's a good point. I just think it's uh, – have we seen enough of him? Like, when, when you if, – if he's making 12, 13 starts this year, something's up with the Blue Jays. Uh, we mentioned the Jays won 7-5 yesterday. They have two Grapefruit League games left this afternoon at 105. They will take on the Detroit Tigers, and then tomorrow they will take on the Baltimore Orioles. Did I hear this right? Did Shulman say that 15 of their last 54 games are against the Orioles? That's, I think that's close. Yeah. I think you got to get to those 44 games or yeah. 54 games, <laughs> you know, games with, but... with a chance to, to go where you ultimately want to go. For me, I think it starts early. Like, we're going to know where the Blue Jays are at. The first month of the season, if you look at their schedule, Jeff, it is. Like, it's a, it's not easy to work through. And this is one point about taking the best 28 north. There's no questions here. Charlie needs some no-brainers. I don't know about you, but you watch Charlie. He needs a little, you know, this is my eighth inning guy. This is my ninth inning guy. I sort of know my seventh inning guy, and then I fill in the other blanks. Uh, Ross Atkins was on the telecast yesterday with Dan and Tabby. And we'd mentioned this. There, there are two two prospects that I think most Jays fans are focused on. Arelvis Martinez is likely headed to Double A. I believe he's. I believe he'll be playing third base at Double A. I, I don't know. Um, maybe we'll ask. Maybe we'll ask. We'll ask Danny that. Gabriel Marino is going to Buffalo to Triple A. Um, probably no surprise in either area. We know that Marino's an an, an advanced hitter. Martinez is a guy who's just rocketed up the organizational rankings. It's pretty clear that, again, I I don't think Ross or Mark would ever classify anybody as untouchable. But there are minor leaguers you wouldn't mind trading, and there are minor leaguers you would rather not trade. And I would put him in the I'd rather not trade him category from what everybody's saying. Martinez, yeah. Uh, But you know what I'm thinking of here? I'm, I'm looking at this team. Aurelvis Martinez, you go through the organizational rankings, Kevin, they got a ton of middle infielders. Yeah. Now I know that at one point one of the things the Chicago Cubs did when they built their organization up is they went nuts and drafted and traded for shortstops and then just basically put them everywhere because the idea is a shortstop's probably good enough a good enough athlete that you can stick them in any position. Mm-hmm. But uh, it it this is going to be not only is this going to be a fascinating year the major league level a year where I think this team has a shot at going to the World Series. It's going to be interesting paying to who goes up, paying attention to who goes up and who goes down in the minors. Yeah, it'd be interesting too to see how they go about this when they eliminate the shift. The shift's going mm-hmm. to be eliminated. You need more athletic guys that can move around a little bit more. Hence, Ramos Martinez. That's why Matt Chapman guys. was such a good acquisition because Absol- if the shift goes away, he Matt, can play Shap- short now. Matt Chapman is like a one man shift. Yeah, you can move around on, on one side of the bag, right? You're yeah. not probably going to be able to go in the outfield and those things and put three guys on one side of the infield, but. You know, you're going to need more guys that can go left to right, up mm-hmm. and back, those kind of things. Is Elvis Martinez one of those guys? Well, from what I noticed in spring training, he's a hitter first guy, yep. and 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 the defensive side of it is a work in progress. What that is, footwork, and everything that you would think of that goes into a young position player. I just don't think he's there yet. Now, is he athletic? Absolutely. You, long, you love that swing, oh, don't you? Grown man. Yeah. Like you can just tell now, do I like the big leg kick and sometimes going a little bit too much back leg city? I was young once. You know, and, I, and I'm sitting there on the batting cage with, with Vladdy and Springer, and Vladdy's talking about it dropping 70, and Springer's talking about, you know, you know him winning the all of these awards, and, you know, you try too hard. So if he can get down there and sort of shorten it up and be a little bit more direct, yeah. Is he untouchable? If I got to give him up to get that third baseman for the Guardians, 
I'm giving him up. I'm a winner. I'm a winning first team right now, mm. right? And there's no untouchables. Well, we've had Mark Shapiro on this show, and I asked him that question. Is there such a thing? And he says it depends on where your organization's at. Well, I'll ask you, where are the Blue Jays at? They're here to give up whatever they need to give up to get the player that takes him to the next level. They, and I think we, we've, we, we've seen a little, I don't want to make too much of this, but I think what we saw this year or what we saw a week or two weeks ago with Bo Bichette and that arbitration, uh, I'm sorry, and the renewal of his contract. I, I'm not making a big deal out of it because I've seen this happen before. I've seen guys renew and I've seen guys sign seven, seven year, not seven year, but I've seen a guy sign a five year contract two weeks after renewing. So, I mean, I'm not going to get in any, in that particular, it, it jump feet first into that particular argument. But, um, you know, we, we are seeing that uh, there's, you know, there, there's kind of a, it's kind of a financial, there's a financial thing going on here. It's not a crunch, but there's a financial thing going on here. A lot of good young players are going to need to be paid at some point in the next two years. And I think for the Blue Jays, you, you got to win a World Series. You got to go to a World Series at some point in this next two years. Like there's a window out there because they've got Barrios, they've got Springer, and yeah, they've got Vladdy for what four years, whatever it is. They've got Bo for f- five years, whatever it is. I'm not saying it's win or win or die in the next two years, but if you win in the next two years, it makes some of your decisions, I think, a little easier. Look at the Braves and that first baseman. You telling me when the World Series didn't make it a little easier for them uh-huh. to say no to a six-year deal for a 33-year-old? Absolutely. Uh, let's be honest. That's, do you, do you really think point. they're going to be able to pay Bo and Vladdy the money that Bo and Vladdy need and want? It's going to be tough. And then add in all the other pieces because if they start winning and consistently start winning, say the American League East, just go there, baby steps. Mm-hmm. Winning the American League East and being better than the Yankees, being better than the Red Sox, you have to live up to that. It's going to cost you money. Do you realistically think that they can do that with what they're what you know with what the money that they have to or want to spend and what these guys are ultimately going to want? I. I mean, let's not be negative here. Let's not, oh, get, not into, get into the bow thing. And yeah, no, it's not being ne- it's not being negative. It's just it's a fact. Like it, we're gonna. This is going to have to be part of the discussion for the next few seasons. And Jay's fans and Jay, Jay's followers, we have to be able to discuss it maturely. We we do. We have to be able to discuss these two guys. You said it with these a two guys. Face. These two guys are going to combine to make half a billion dollars. If you, if you were to sign them, it's going to take you half a billion dollars to get these two guys. He's going to do that. All right, but my point is that's a fact. Let's not worry about it, but let's acknowledge that it's a fact. And you know, as I've said, I'm I'm not. Bo comes up to the plate. I'm not going to be sitting there going, "Man, are they ever? Are they going to be able to re-sign this guy?" I don't care about it, but. It has to be out there. Well, it, it has to be a. What if he's a 30, 30, 100 guy this year? Yeah. Then you're going to be going, what? And then Vladdy's a, a 320, 40, 130 guy. Yeah. Huh. What if Bo suddenly has a better year than Vladdy, too? Then, yeah, then I I, yeah, I mean, we're just maybe, supposing. Yeah, it's I, you would just look at swing plane and, and approaches. And, you know, I'd just be happy if Bo's healthy all year with, with how aggressive he yep. is and. If, if both of them stay healthy and can play 155-plus games, I'll be happy with that. Dan Schulman and Pat Tabler had the call of the game yesterday. Dan Schulman is, of course, the Blue Jays' play-by-play voice on Sportsnet. Dan Schulman joins us next. This is Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. 
Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We will be joined in the next hour by Jim Cott. MLB broadcaster, 2022 Hall of Fame inductee and author of Good as Gold, My Eight Decades in Baseball. The perfect guy to have on and talk about the uh, end of pitchers hitting in baseball. Because he could... There's no way way he could say in today's game that he's happy to go up to the plate and face 99 with a devastating... Anyhow, no chance. It's good to have it's good to have Jim on. Absolutely, uh, he is uh, he's one of our favorites. It'll be a great book. He's got a great sense of humor, so I'm uh, really looking forward to uh, seeing that. A reminder that uh, starting Monday we will be on Sportsnet 360. We'll be simulcast on 360. So Bark, you're going to have to dress better. We'll be on Sportsnet 360 hey. and and SN now. Be nice. And of course, we will be on Blue Jays talk following every Blue Jays game this year. Except for Saturdays. Blake Murphy will be uh, holding down the fort along with Show Ellie. And assorted guests. It's bringing Dan Schulman, Blue Jays play-by-play announcer in Sportsnet. I know where he will be Friday when the Jays open the season against the Texas Rangers. Mr. Schulman, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, very quickly, uh, just because I know you were down there uh, yesterday, and you had Ross Atkins. <clears throat> you had Ross Atkins, the general manager of the Jays, in the booth. Just it, looking at this Reese McGuire deal for Zach Collins, and it, it seems to me that plus the fact that we are seeing Alejandro Kirk catch Kevin Gossman today in his 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 first Grapefruit League start, it suggests to me that this whole question of whether or not you take two or three catchers, do you think it's settled now? I think they know what they want to do. Whether we know what they want to do is another story. And good morning, guys. Good to be with you. I, I, I mean, to me, it comes down to Reese McGuire was out of options and Zach Collins has an option. So what it allows them to do, I guess, if they want, is to carry three catchers for three weeks and then to send Collins to Buffalo. But um, I, I think it just gives them a little bit more flexibility. But Kirk obviously is going to be on the team. Like, I think three weeks ago, the question was if they, you know, some people were saying if they only carry two, is the backup Kirk or McGuire? Like, do you mm-hmm. want Kirk to go play every day for a month or two just to prove to you that he can catch? It looks like he's past that right now. And, and you know, whether he catches Gosman or Gosman and Manoa or, or however they decide to do it, he's going to be on the team. The other thing about having Zach Collins there or any third catcher there is it allows you to DH Kirk, you know, once or twice a week right. um, without being worried about Danny Jansen getting hurt and then losing your DH, which I always think is a little bit overblown. Like the worst thing that happens is, you know, Jansen rolls an angle, Kirk's the DH, you put Kirk behind the plate, and for an at-bat or two, you got to use pinch hitters off the bench. Like mm-hmm. that's the worst thing that happens. So I actually think it's a little bit overblown. But I think it, it gives them the opportunity to maybe have Kirk in there you know, four times a week, maybe twice a week as a catcher and twice a week as a DH. Dad, do you think there's any surprises? Taylor Saucedo, Trent Thornton, I think we know what the rotation is, one through five, but, you know, they're talking about six-man rotation here anytime soon, and, you know, I know Stripling's going to be thrown in the mix there, but do you see any surprises? I do think Stripling is going to get a start or two in the next month. Uh, if you look at the Blue Jays schedule, and you guys may have talked about this already, they have 30 games in 31 days. 
I don't think there's any other team that has that. They have 10 in a row, a day off, and then 20 in a row. And they play a lot of Yankees, a lot of Red Sox, a lot of Astros. You can make a case they've got the toughest first five weeks or whatever uh, of the season of, of any team in baseball. But the good news is it evens out. <laughs> if you have fewer off days early, you get more late. If you don't have the Orioles early, you get them late, et cetera. So I definitely think Ross Stripling is going to be a big factor and will make uh, – Uh, a start or two in terms of surprises. I I, I don't really think so. I think at the end of the pen, you know, is Merriweather on the team? It doesn't look like Pearson will be ready. I guess one question I have, Kevin, is do they have room for Saucedo and Barucki? Um, I'm assuming they're going to take 10 relievers. I think in my head, I've got seven who are locks, um, but do they have room for Saucedo and Barucki? I think Saucedo yesterday, notwithstanding has more than done enough to warrant a spot on this team if you're taking 10 relievers. The issue with Barucki, as you guys know, is he's out of, he's out of options, and they they got to make a decision on him, and he hasn't had a great spring, and he kind of tweaked his hamstring a couple of days ago. So to me, Ryan Barucki is one of the, you know, probably one of the decisions they still have to make. From what you saw from Jimmy Garcia, you know, when, when Jays fans see him coming to the game, you think it's okay? They're like, ah, he's in the game. We're good here. Yeah, I do. Uh, I mean, he had 15 saves for the Marlins last year before he got traded to the Astros. So, you know, there were times last year, as you guys well know, where Simber and Richards were doing the eighth inning or Mesa was doing the eighth inning. Or before Simber and Richards got to the team, there was the whole Chatwood-Dolise era. Even Anthony Castro, and this shouldn't be held against Castro, he did the eighth inning a few times because they didn't have anybody else, right? I mean, to me, the bullpen is in much, much better shape right now. If you've got, if you can put Simber in against certain guys in the order, if it's the fifth inning, sixth inning, seventh inning, whatever, put him in there against guys you think he'll be effective against. Put Richards in against guys you think he'll be effective with. Um, I think Garcia is, is going to be fine he's got good velocity good movement he's a veteran he's been around he's closed games um i I would i would love one more arm to kind of be on that level on his level you know an eighth inning guy a guy who can close if romano's pitched two days in a row that sort of thing but but i do think he's an upgrade over most of the guys they had in that role last year danny of all the stuff that happened during yesterday's game the one at bat that i really enjoyed was watching Rymel Tapia with Lourdes Gurriel on first. The hit and run that fouled off the ball, and then I think the next pitcher, a couple of pitchers later, Tapia just reaches out and just kind of pokes the ball into left field. And I know you and Tabby talked about this. I think this team is going to be much more aggressive on the base pads this year. I thought they were aggressive last year. I think they're going to be much more aggressive on the base pads this, base pads this year because I think they look at, at especially Boston and New York and they think, you know, we can we can put some pressure on these teams early in the year by forcing the issue with our speed. Yeah, I, I think they can. Now, they, they've lost some speed, obviously, in Marcus Simeon, but Bo Bichette's going to run. Uh, I think Teoscar's going to run a little bit more. I think George Springer will run a little bit. Tapia is definitely going to run. And it's not just stolen bases. It's starting a runner, right. taking the extra base on a single, or trying to score from first on a double. Uh, you know, and then there's the secret weapon, old number 27, right? Running through stop signs <laughs> at third base and rumbling home and stealing a base in spring training. And, you know, I said this on the air yesterday. If you ask people from the other 29 teams, what do you think of when you think of Laddie? Obviously, you think of the bad. But I, I said it yesterday, and you guys know this, he's an aggressive baseball player 
defensively, and he's an aggressive base runner. And he likes to play the game a bit on the edge. He likes to take the extra base. He likes to run hard. He likes to, you know, make a tough throw and try to get the lead runner. And I think Vladdy, he stole four bases last year. It wouldn't shock me if he stole eight or ten and and took a few extra bases, you know, first to third, second to home on a single when it's a, a borderline play and Louie's not sure if he's going to send him. But to me, it's not just steals. It's just more overall decent speed athleticism being able to do some different things and and uh, I think Jeff you're right Tapia figures into that whether he's at the plate or whether um, he's on the bases I think we'll see him try to bunt for base it's not you know we know Charlie likes the sacrifice and I'm sure Tapia will do that a bit but I think we'll see Tapia try to bunt for some base hits as well every now and again and he he just gives them a, a, a bit of a different look than any of the guys they've had the last couple of years you know someone who saw Vladdy senior who who, who covered him in his first year the biggest similarity I see between him and Junior is their aggressiveness. Like Vladdy Senior, Vladdy Senior used to scare people because of the way he ran, and he had this habit of landing hard on on a base when he ran, and it was almost like watching this this you know this this wild beast run around the bases. And I see a little bit of that in Vladdy too. I really he, do. He loves it. Look at the smile on his yes. face. Not even when he gets back to the dugout and they're toweling him off. But as he's running the bases, he's got a smile on his face sometimes. I mean, he, he loves to play the game, the whole game. He, he's not just, you know, this isn't like Dave Kingman, right? You know, hit 230, hit 45 home runs, and, and, and really don't contribute in any other ways. Maybe I should have had a guy who played in the last 40 years for my reference, but you guys know who I'm talking about. But, but this, like, I, I think Vladdy is a much more complete ball player um, than maybe folks south of the border realize. And with every year, as his conditioning gets better, I think we'll see that more and more. I think we had Luis Rivera on the air yesterday, and I think he said, we didn't ask him, but I think he said, Vlad, he's 235 pounds now. He did I believe that. that's what he said. He did. Um, and that's pretty good. And, and now Vladdy said he's the same as last year. It's just, you know, it's in a better place. It's redistributed. Right. And that's great. That's fine. He doesn't, he doesn't have to get down to 215 to be a superstar. He's proven he can do it, uh, you know, at a bit heavier weight maybe than, than most guys. But, but um, you know, he gave an interview a couple of days ago and said, I feel so good. I feel so fast. I feel, you know, th- this is all good stuff. Um, you know, you always worry about a little bit of an injury risk with a guy that important, try to steal a base. But um, I-, I think he's going to do it. And I think he'll have the element of surprise a few times. Yeah, we always like to sit around and, and you know, think about names where we'd like to see him in the lineup. And, and you know, one through four is what it is. They're, they're going to mix them around the way they want to put them. They're going to go to the big boys and ask him, where do you want to hit? Where do you feel most comfortable? But the guy hitting the number five spot, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., they put him there since day one of spring training. And I was watching him. I've been watching him. I was down there. I was watching him. I saw him in the cage. And I'm thinking to myself, why, why would they put him in the five spot? Is there something different about him? Does he look like he has a different approach? I've talked to coaches. They seem to think that, you know, his approach is, is similar to what it was. But you look at him, he just looks different. Have, have you seen any or heard anything that might think, make you think that something's different about him? I think he looks the way that he looked for most of the second half of last year. And in the games that I did, he took a whole bunch of close two-strike sliders down and away, and he took them. You know, the pitches where two years ago or even early last year, he's swinging and he's out. Um, I think he's just got a much better idea 
of what I can hit, what I can't, what's a strike, and what's not. And I know he and Guillermo Martinez have done a lot of work on that. And, and I'm one of those guys who, and you probably shouldn't do this, you say, boy, look at those three months he had. If he could ever have those three months for six months, these would be his numbers. Now, of course, if it were that easy, everybody would do it, right? But I, I think they just believe that second-half Guriel is Guriel. They think this is who he is right now. And I do remember early in the spring, Kirk hitting fifth once and Lourdes hitting sixth. So who knows if Kirk's in the lineup, if it changes. But I I love Lourdes in the five spot. And then maybe if Kirk or if it's Bird or anybody, like even yesterday when Tappy was in there, if you you guys remember, he hit sixth and Matt Chapman hit seventh. Mm -hmm. And that, that didn't say much to me about Tapia. That says to me, Chapman's going to be the seven hitter. And even if, if, if Greg Bird is on the team and Greg Bird is the DH, he's going to hit six. Now, that may just be to separate him a little bit more from Kevin Biggio if they're the two left-handed batters in there. And I'm okay with that. Um, so that might be part of it. But um, I think Lourdes in the five spot is great. But, but you guys know, if in a month Lourdes is cold and Chapman is hot, Chapman will go to five and Guriel go to seven or something like that. So uh, I, I think, uh, you know, the, as they say, the players make out the lineup. And, and when you've got this many good hitters, it's going to be a pretty good-looking group no matter how they stack them up. Yeah, when I was down there uh, a couple of days, I went to a couple of games, and I, I was – you say Kikuchi was, was throwing against the Phillies. And, you know, when I saw Bryce Harper go back Lake City, I looked down at my son, and my son was looking at the mile per hour – and he said, Daddy, look, it's 92-93. And the first thing that popped in my head was, i got to be honest with you, is I'm sure the Blue Jays weren't paying this guy 36 large to throw 92-93 miles an hour. And then I thought to myself, is that a little unfair for me to be saying this? Guy coming to a new team, guy trying to impress. You know, he's even come out and said that he was nervous in his first outing. The mile per hour for me is a big deal for him, right? The cutters, when it's 91, you're getting hitters coming back to the dugout like the Blue Jays were last year, saying that's the best pitcher we've faced all year. You know, it's 97, 98, 99 with lots of movement. It's got a lot late life to it. And then you got the cutter. Should we be worried with him with that mile per hour, you think? Well, I do know, I think his last one was in Bradenton, if I'm not mistaken. And I went down and watched a few innings, but we weren't doing that game. Um, And I know his velocity was up a little bit on his four-seam fastball. I think it was more like Mm -hmm. 93-94 on his four-seamer. Yes, I think for him, and and even for a guy like Hyunjin Ryu, who is the, you know, he is not a velocity guy at all. But how many times have we said or seen or learned how different 88 is from 90 for Hyunjin Ryu for, for his, you know, for his top end, every, you know, every little bit helps, but for Kikuchi, I do know the velocity was better last time. So that's encouraging. I think the biggest thing with him is uh, they're, I think they're going to tinker with the pitch mix. You know, all you have to do is go on baseball savant or whatever site you like, and you can see that his cutter got destroyed last year, destroyed. And he threw it over 30% of the time. And I'm sure it's the first thing that somebody in the analytics department looks at when Ross Atkins pokes his head into the office and says, we're thinking of, you know, we might have an interesting Kikuchi. What do you got? And I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if by, you know, a month from now, he's throwing way fewer cutters than he threw with Seattle and whether it's more change-ups or more breaking balls, whatever the case may be. So, um, 
he's got ability. You can see his stuff moves, right? I mean, you can see there's stuff there. It's just a question of locating it and harnessing it in the pitch selection and all that. So, um, but he's he, to me, he's one of the wild cards of this team because first half you say Kikuchi was an all star, and second half you say Kikuchi was a guy you'd consider sending down to the minors with the numbers he was putting up. Yeah. So, if they could split the difference and get like a Stephen Matz kind of year, I think they'd be really happy with that. Dan, the Jose Ramirez rumors will not go away, <laughs> and for once it's not us fanning them. We know that negotiations between him and the and, and the Guardians, uh, put a dollar in the jar, Barker, I'd call them the Indians. Huh. We know that the negotiations between he and the Guardians, I mean, it doesn't, it looks like they're, they're way apart. Um, there's some talk his agent may be talking to the Guardians today. I mean, his agent sent out an LOL uh, tweet when there was a report that that he was talking to. I mean, it's it's it just looks like it might be a difficult bridge for the Guardians to cross. We know the Jays really like Jose Ramirez. Everybody in baseball does, but we know that Ross and Mark have a heavy personal tie to him. The other thing, though, is you know we've been led to believe that when JD Josh Donaldson was in Cleveland, Ramirez was not necessarily thrilled with playing second base. So there's a there's a whole bunch of stuff going on here. Do you see any fire behind this smoke at all, Danny? I, I don't really uh, at this point. And you did Pre-Matt before, Chapman. right? You did Pardon before, me? right? Pre Matt Chapman, yes. yes, yes. Once they got Chapman, uh, to me, there's urgency is not the right word, but like they needed a guy before they got Chapman and they got a guy. Um, now they, they definitely needed a third baseman. I, you know, in a perfect world, if you could have gotten a left-handed batter or a switch hitter, that's what you get. But, um, obviously they kicked the tires on, on Ramirez back then. And whatever the guardians were asking for was not to their liking. I'm not saying Chapman was plan B, but that, you know, I think you can, guess that they were talking to Cleveland and talking to Oakland and looked at the two offers and decided the Oakland offer was um, was more palatable for them. So at this point, I honestly don't see it happening. Um, and, and now, and, and you know, my next thing is, if I'm a Blue Jay fan, is, well, let them not wind up in the division. Let them wind up somewhere else, <laughs> yeah. right? Let them go to the other league. Let them go to Seattle. Let them go wherever. But keep them out of the American League East. But, you know, start to think about what you'd have to give to get him right now, um, like what if they're asking for Moreno and Arelvis Martin? What if they're asking for both of them? You know what? A, and you know we've talked about Kirk, we've talked about Guriel. Um, if he's coming to play second base, then obviously you've got a log jam there with Biggio and Espinal. Maybe one of those guys is is uh, you know a smaller part of the deal. But at this point, the return almost scares me more than the upside appeals to me. I, and I, that may be crazy, um, but that's how I'm kind of feeling uh, about it right now. They, they've, got, they've got an outstanding group of position players. They really, really do. Um, and, and I think Biggio and Espinal are going to be a nice combination at second base, however they split up the at-bats. I, you know, a lot of people are really down on Kevin Biggio because of last year. He was playing a position he was ill-suited for, and he got hurt three times. Like, let's give the kid a month before mm-hmm. we run him out of town. Because uh, I, be- I believe in his work ethic and his desire to be the best. He's not a star, and he's not going to be a star. But I think he can help this team like he did in 2020 and 2019. And, you know, we all like 
so many things about Santiago Espinal. I think they've got a pretty good combination right there. I don't think this team, Jeff, is going to win or lose a division on the basis of its position players, whether they get Ramirez or not. I, I think it's pitching. It, it's, you know, is Gosman good or great? Is Kikuchi okay in the five spot? What are they getting out of Pearson and, and Merriweather? Like, to me, those are the questions that will decide how far this team goes. Okay, last one before we let you go. You knew I had to ask. Who you got, Kansas, UNC? <laughs> Uh, well, I've been wrong. There have been, let's see, 66 games played in this tournament. I bet you I've been wrong on 58 <laughs> of them so far, but that's, that's the way it goes. I mean, North Carolina, I saw them a ton this year, Kevin. And, yeah. and you know, you saw them when Virginia Tech beat them. And, yeah. and North Carolina, I mean, they got, they got beat by 28 by Wake Forest. They got <laughs> beat by 29 by Kentucky. Like, they got blown out, or, or 28 by Miami, I'm sorry, 17 by Wake Forest. They got blown out in games, but... They've just put it all all together all together right now, and 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 they're playing great. Um, Kansas is is the better team. To me, it comes down to the battle of the big guys: Baycott for Carolina, McCormick for Kansas. That, that, that's all. I'll give you Who, whichever big guy plays better. I think his team wins the game. Baycott is much much more consistent. If McCormick can play Baycott to a standstill, I think Kansas wins the game. If McCormick gets in foul trouble and Baycott has one of his eighteen point twenty two rebound games, I think Carolina wins again danny good stuff as always my friend great to hear your voice great to uh great to see you back in the air calling blue jays baseball we will chat on friday thank we you we'll see you friday looking forward to it take care that is dan shulman blue jays play-by-play announcer on sportsnet and of course the voice of college basketball on uh espn as the final four wraps up today as well who you got yeah i don't pay much attention to college Basketball, I'm trying to get as much information as I can about baseball and breaking down the Blue Jays. And, you know, it was, once my Hokies got beat, I, I didn't really yeah, so care. You have a rooting interest. I, oh, well, I did for one game. Yeah, well. And then I think Texas, I think they played Texas. I don't even remember who they played. I know my buddies were texting me and yelling and screaming about this guy's not doing this for the Hokies and this guy's not doing that. And I said, everybody chill. Who, who thought the Hokies were going to be in the tourney? Nobody. Raise your hand. And nobody could raise their hand. So, And I even, you know, was texting Dan a couple of times and saying, hey, get, bring some love towards the Hokies. Maybe you'll bring them some luck. It didn't work, but at least they made this, the tourney. And I don't know. It'll be, it might be a fun game to watch, but it's interesting to hear what he's saying about Kikuchi. I, I, you, I'm, are I'm not, a, you, are, you are not in on I, you say Kikuchi. I just, you are not. I just remember my son saying, Daddy, look at how hard he's throwing. And it said 92. And I wanted to tell my son, that's not hard. You know, they, they gave him $36 million to throw way harder than that. And I know it's spring training, and I know guys are working on things, but can you do that? Flip the switch on mile per hour. I just, I don't know. Kevin Gossman is making his first Grapefruit League start of the year to, of, of the spring today. I just don't think, with all due respect, I don't think we have any idea what to expect from the Blue Jays starters. I, I, I really don't. I'm re- I'm not not worried about it, but I, I'm saying in their first start, I don't know. Jose Barrios could he throw 85, 90 pitches his first start? Yeah, could he be out after sixty five? Uh, the yeah, only, I don't the know. only thing I'm saying, he gave up a home run to Bryce Harper. If you're facing him and you're doing it at home in Dunedin, fans are in the stands. You, you would think the mile per hour would be ticked up a little bit. It would be 92. I hope you're right, and I hope it's just that they moved a... him on the rubber. They're trying to get him to think about different things. Dan Shulman even said, you know, the cutter, they might not be throwing as much. He's got a lot of things going on between the years. Maybe that's what it is. And the finish and coming off the fingers is just not right. I just thought 
the couple of times that I saw him, wasn't looking like what I expected it should look like. That's all. Yeah. I just, I, I need to see. Let, let's see what 40,000 at the Rogers Center does to guys. Let's see what pitching at Yankee Stadium uh, do does to guys. I just, I would caution people. Listen, I've covered teams out of spring training following a labor stoppage. And with all due respect, the players could be in the greatest shape. They've got all this technology. They've all of this. I mean, it's a different era now than 94, 95. We just don't know. We just don't know where guys are compared to where they would normally be. That is, that is a simple fact of the matter. And when you couple that with, and I'm glad Dan mentioned this, the Jays schedule early, be prepared, be prepared to see one of your starters, have their tits lit up every now and then. That's all I'm going to say. Like be prepared. It, it, it could happen. And I don't and I want to come on here in two weeks after after you say Kikuchi's had two starts and it people, oh my God, it's a waste of money. And just see. Let it let it let it play out for a bit. Because we just their first, their first, don't know. Their first twenty two games is like. is not gonna be easy. If they go twelve and ten, that's that's something else. I'll just say I watched Tim Mays pitch yesterday. Every pitch he threw, he turned around, looked at the scoreboard, see how hard he's throwing. It matters. It tells oh, them I'm, a lot of stuff. I am not that's saying that's all I'm saying. And you say matter. last year in the second half was talked about a lot with the dead arm. Maybe that has something to do with it. And I'm just saying Having dead arm for look, however long that is coming into spring training, that's almost a year of dead look, arm. That's a lot. That's all I'm saying. Let's go back and see what was said not so long ago when the Jays got Yusei Kikuchi. What did everybody write? Can't wait till Pete Walker works with him. Maybe he can do for him what he did for Robbie Ray and Steven Matz. So let's see I, if he can. That's all I'm saying. Let's see if he can do it. I said it's better than Stripling or, or Thornton making 20 starts. That's what I said. But, I, again, it's not fair for us to come on here and, and know what they paid him and know what your eyes are telling you. That's all. That's, I'm saying it should be nice and easy, fluid, coming out the way it's supposed to come out. And what I saw it wasn't. And that's maybe I shouldn't be as, as excited as I was when I saw it. Maybe my son, I blame my son for bringing right. attention to me. That's the first time you blame. <laughs> Normally, Taze would get blamed. Actually, no, normally it's me. The yeah. order of Barker blaming is Blair, Hazel, Boffo, or whoever happens to be producing. Charlie Montoyo, and then... Yeah, so, yeah. Because you blame Charlie for everything. Absolutely everything. Traffic today, I blamed him. I was yelling and screaming. We talked yesterday in our show, Charlie uh, getting his extra year guaranteed and two options put on. He should, but it's... Put up or shut up for that entire coaching staff and the players. It is a little bit of I that. I don't like the way you put that. Well, I mean, it's the expectations coming into this season a little, little heavier than they have been. Yeah, we, how will, about that? we will have to have a talk at some point about how I, I, I think teams view managers much more differently now than than they used to. I think culture plays an important role. Right? There, there's so many. Listen, there's so many cooks. In the kitchen, yes, the manager is ultimately the guy that tastes and says, yeah, we need a little more salt or let's start over. But there are so many cooks in the kitchen that I think there's a realization on the part of organizations that it really is a collaborative effort. And I understand you can't fire the entire front office, but I think it makes teams a little more reluctant to fire managers than they have in the past. 
you know, and, and I mean, we just don't look, look at the Cardinals getting rid of Mike Schilt. That was kind of a cultural thing. A lot of managerial decisions are made now that aren't just black and white, right? Tony LaRusse is yeah. a manager. Five years ago, you never would have thought of it. We'll have a discussion about this at some yeah. point, about how managers are are viewed differently now than they were before. I, I, I just think we, I don't think we have any clue how teams how teams view managers anymore. Jim Cott will join us in the next hour. He's an MLB broadcaster, 2022 Hall of Fame inductee. He's author as of whoop, author of Good as Gold, My Eight Decades in Baseball. You can pre-order the book now. It releases on April 19th. Um, he's a great storyteller. He's a terrific pitching analyst. And uh, he will join us in the second half of the show as uh, we begin our regular two-hour Spot on Sportsnet 590, the fan from 10 to 12 Eastern. And again, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We talked about the Blue Jays lineup yesterday and some of the moves we've seen Charlie Montoyo make within the batting order. Something interesting is going on in Washington with the Nationals that I think looks very similar to what we're seeing with the Blue Jays. So we're going to talk about that when we come back. It's, it's Juan Soto and Vladdy Jr. I think we can agree, can agree are two of the very best players in the game. Young, old, they're two of the very best players in the game. The Nationals are doing something with Soto that I think the Jays are going to do with Guerrero. I'll get my voice back and we'll talk about it. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan.